0: Welcome to the Data Vites podcast by Women in Data, where we give you your weekly bite-sized dose of career development advice, industry case studies, and career stories to help you excel in your data career. In this episode, I'm talking with Misra Terp. Misra is the founder of So You Want to Be a Data Scientist, where she teaches people how to get into data science and deep learning. We chat about everything from real-world use cases of deep learning to a step-by-step guide in the learning journey for deep learning. I really enjoyed this episode because MISRA does a fantastic job of breaking the complex things down to a simple, easy-to-understand format that will help you in order to get started on your deep learning journey. Enjoy! Enjoy! Well, we have a lot to cover in this episode, and I'm super excited about it because we haven't had a guest on the show yet to t- come in and talk about deep learning. So let's go ahead and get started. And just to level set, would love to know how you define deep learning. Sure
1: so um this is a little bit of a tricky concept because i think many people would define it a little bit differently and you know in textbooks they will write it a bit differently also but generally my go-to description is basically deep learning is a discipline of ai that consists of a group of techniques that are based on neural networks and that have the capacity to learn complex patterns directly from the data so That is a very long sentence, (laughs) it is like a mouthful, but I also like to break it down after I give this description because I think it helps. So mainly I say it's a discipline of AI because it is a subgroup of AI, Uh, and as you might know, AI is a part of computer science, it's basically a discipline of computer science, and inside of AI there are different approaches to AI, and one of them is machine learning. And machine learning has a specific field that is called deep learning. So that's why I like to say it's just a discipline of AI. So it is not a separate thing. It is a part of the AI world. Uh, And on top of that, I'd like to say it's a group of techniques because, yes, they are based on neural networks. They come from neural networks. But at the same time, uh, they have different approaches, different architectures, and we have seen so many progress in this area uh, in the last couple of years, especially in the last five to ten years that I think it makes sense now to call them a group of techniques, different types of approaches. And lastly, I say that it's a, uh, it has the capacity to learn complex patterns directly from the data because as opposed to traditional machine learning, with deep learning, you can just give your data as it is after really minimal processing to the model or the network, and it will learn the pattern from the data directly without you having to extract any features. So in a long way, that is my description for <laughs> deep learning. That's a great description, and
0: I know in your class, you do a really good job of providing visualizations that show how it's a subset, Mm -hmm. right? And for those, since we're doing audio here, (laughs) it really is, I think you showed it like circles, and it's at the innermost part of the Mm -hmm. circle, right? Where you have AI, and then machine learning, and then deep learning, and as you specified, it's one technique in that overall ecosystem,
1: Yeah, exactly. Because it's kind of hard to know if you are not coming from a computer science background to know how things are divided. Because at the end of the day, this is kind of like an academic distinction. People, you know, go to university, they study computer science. And one of the disciplines that they can follow is AI and specifically machine learning or deep learning. So I think it's really helpful to show those diagrams. So if anyone wants to show how I do that, they can go check out my YouTube uh, channel. I have some videos on there talking about deep learning.
0: Yes. Highly recommend the YouTube channel. It's a great resource. So since we're talking right now, it may be helpful to go into some use cases for how people Mm -hmm. may use deep learning and provide some contextual context to it. So how do you see people using deep learning in the real world today?
1: Yes. So it is actually much more widely adapted, widely adapted than I think we are aware. So, you know, when people start talking about deep learning, they mainly talk about like, oh, self-driving cars or something like that. Right. And that's kind of the first example that come to our minds. But from my experience working and also hearing from my friends and just generally knowing the domain, as far as I know, basically we can divide it into capabilities of deep learning and how they're used. So for example, we have natural language processing, NLP. And NLP you can use for many things. So for example, you can use it for understanding natural language. And that sounds like a really complex thing, but at the end of the day, it could be as easy as looking at tweets And trying to understand if they are negative or positive or, you know, it has any uh, violent or offensive language in it. Or it could also be translation that we use. Google Translate, for example, is based on some sort of deep learning model. We don't know. Google knows. (laughs) But at the end of the day, they're using deep learning. Or, you know, we're using deep learning to understand the entities in the language. So one example I'd like to give is... Uh, let's say you are trying to group together the drug names that are in a piece of text and maybe you see the name aspirin. Okay, so you know what aspirin is, but you also see the name Echotrin. And ecotrin is actually the same thing as aspirin. So deep learning and those kind of capabilities also help us group them together and say, hey, this is actually the same thing. So that's in the natural language processing part of things. And then we have vision. And vision is basically... The same thing as language, but instead this time you're working with image data, right? So this could be, for example, reading physical documents. Let's say you have a document that came to you from the government, just taking that physical document and being able to put it into a digital format immediately, which Apple actually included in one of their latest updates. You can now take a photo of your iPhone and then immediately add it to your notes, for example. Facial recognition is something we use every day now with our iPhones to unlock our phones or uh, image tagging or summarizing the images. Like, you know, we upload an image and it just automatically gets tagged as, oh, a group of friends partying or sunset with my dog sort of things. Or more useful in the general world, in the health sector, for example, they also use it to help doctors diagnose MRI scans or X-ray results to, you know, kind of help them. Of course, they will never be able to work only by themselves, only the models, but it's kind of like a helpful thing for the doctors to see, okay, which area of this MRI scan should I be paying attention to, for example. Uh, On top of that, we have, of course, just data analysis-wise, you know, we have platforms like TikTok, which are doing amazingly in terms of recommending the correct video to the correct person. I'm sure some of our (laughs) listeners would have experienced that. I am partially an addict, so (laughs) I definitely did. Uh, And then we have Netflix and Amazon Prime, for example, showing us the shows that are kind of, uh, you know, based on what we have watched before. So those are all kind of based on deep learning. Or uh, monitoring social media, like, as I said, Twitter to see, you know, oh, is this tweet offensive? Is there anything harmful for young people here? Uh, And lastly, we also have some uh, activities and research, of course. So, for example, I think this is starting to be used in drug discovery, to see which drugs that are already available can be used for other diseases. Or there is this big problem of protein folding that has been a big question in the science world or healthcare world in a long time for a long time. And I think they're starting to use uh, deep learning uh, models or different architectures for that. And also, lastly, I started hearing about deep learning being used in physics and being applied to physical problems, the things that we already know. But just to see, hey, deep le- can deep learning actually solve and understand what gravity is, for example. So those are really interesting things. Those are more like fringe cases, but more like day-to-day, as I said, more like natural language processing and vision and data analysis is used.
0: Perfect. So what I hear you saying is in the broader world, right, we have AI, then machine learning, then in that subset is deep learning. And then we can even go further down in that into deep learning and there's three main categories, maybe four, right? With NLP, Mm -hmm. vision, data analysis, and then Mm -hmm. research. So Mm -hmm. really there are tons of use cases for how we can use this. And what you mentioned were a lot of really relevant use cases, what I love that we all know, right? With Google Translate, um, Twitter Mm -hmm. tweets, Netflix, Amazon, TikTok. But do you think some of these use cases can be used at, larger companies that have been existing for a while, or is there a lot more opportunity to find applications for um, using these techniques?
1: Yeah, I think it's going to really depend on how willing the companies are to be flexible because in some companies that have been around for a very, very long time or they're really big, then they tend to not like the change too much because these technologies, especially deep learning or machine learning, They are not things that you can sit down and explain to someone how and why they work most of the time. I think that's another problem in machine learning lately. We talk about explainability. Uh, Some models are explainable, but some models are not. So it's basically basically kind of like a leap that you would expect from people. Especially I see that uh, older people tend to have like a problem with it when you cannot explain why it's working, you know. Uh, so it's, I think it's, as I said, would really depend on the willingness of the people who are working to adapt to this new technology and new way of thinking and trusting the data and trusting the data scientists or machine learning engineers to completely create a model that works, but it's also valid. So it's not just, you know, looking at the wrong data or looking at the wrong patterns. So yeah, kind of like a trust issue there.
0: Makes sense. And Thankfully our audience loves learning and loves exploring new things <laughs> and is open to new ideas so if they don't want to get left behind and stay in the dark how do you recommend people get started on a journey into deep learning
1: sure so i like every time someone asks me this question the first thing i say is always make sure that you're on solid ground first especially when it comes to deep learning because Well, I look at my own experience and what happened for me was I graduated from computer science, but I didn't really take any machine learning courses, so anything similar to deep learning. And at some point I wanted to do projects with deep learning, but I partially knew some of the things that were there, I partially didn't know, and then I would get really easily demotivated in the middle of a project because someone would talk to me about regularization and I would not understand what they mean. Uh, So that's why... What I did was one day I was like, okay, mustra leave your pride away. <laughs> Just take a book and act like you do not know anything. And, uh, and that's what happens, right? We are data scientists, we work with data. And at the end of the day, we feel like we know a little bit of it. So we should not be acting or treating ourselves like beginners, but when it comes to deep learning, I think it really, really, really matters. you know what's happening uh, under the hood. So you really need to know how neural networks learn uh, what are the things that you can change with neural networks? What are the hyperparameters? What do they mean? And how do they affect the outcome? Because the more advanced techniques, like we're talking about CNNs, RNNs, even those are kind of you know old techniques at this point. We have crazy models like GPT-3, BERT, who are doing amazingly in the real world. But when you look at them closely, they're actually just like different spins on the old technologies little bit of a new approach a different way of thinking at the just the base thing neural networks and how they work so at the end of the day that's why I always tell people to get their uh, you know get their beginner mindset and just start from the beginning and look at all the essentials of deep learning and make sure they understand and why how they work and also why they work perfect so I'm trying to get my
0: footing and grounding. And I love that of like, Hey, get your baseline right and have that childlike curiosity. Mm -hmm. Do you recommend starting with just a traditional neural network and, you know, going through all of the code and the whole process to develop one or like what technique you mentioned, CNNs and RNNs, and those seem later on that you should dive into. So Mm -hmm. like what technique should you really
1: focus on first? Is it, a
0: language is it the algorithm is it both
1: Mm -hmm. well i can uh, tell you what i did in my course deep learning 101 because that's obviously the way i I recommend (laughs) people should learn (laughs) so basically what i do in the course is uh just start building neural networks from the beginning so what i also that's also what i recommend to people uh learn a little bit of like okay how does neural networks learn Uh, Forward propagation, backward propagation, right? Those are like the first two steps. And then learn how to do that on Python. Learn how to create your first neural network. Very simple, without changing anything. And then you can start looking into, okay, there are tons of hyperparameters. What are these hyperparameters? And read up on them. And every time you read up on one, go implement it in Keras, which is the simplest framework for doing deep learning in Python. And just implement it and see okay, this is how it works, change some of the, uh, you know, things that you're, like, change the, I don't know, include regularization and then see if the effect is what you expect it to be. If it is, great. If it's not, then maybe look into why. So I basically think that this is the best way to do kind of back and forth, learning a little bit of the theory, applying it and see if that actually what happens. If it doesn't, why that doesn't happen, kind of do some research into it. And I think that's really trial and error kind of way really hammers it all in your brain really well. And the great news is,
0: I believe you're giving a discount code to all of our listeners if they want to get started with that methodology and take that class, correct?
1: Yes, exactly. If they use Database 2020, no, sorry, Database 22, (laughs) that's the discount (laughs) code for my course, Deep Learning 101.
0: Awesome. We'll put it in the show notes. I have gone through the course and it is amazing it is perfect for beginners it's also excellent for people who just really want to like fill in the gaps in their learning of deep learning because mm-hmm. you do such a great job of like you said really laying that first foundational ground layer and i feel like other classes go too deep into certain topics and miss those key foundational elements and you really do a great job in this class so yeah
1: definitely Thanks. check
0: it out for all the listeners <laughs>
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the problems with many other courses that as far as I've seen is that it's still a very academic sort of field. So at the end of the day, people, when they make courses, they approach it really like a university course. And of course, at a university, they try to give you all the theory and everything in the background, even if you don't really need it to be a, a practitioner. So that's why I try to keep it really practical. So uh, I hope people will enjoy it.
0: Yeah, I think it's fantastic. and. I think as a learner, it's just important to know, like, what are you coming in to learn for, right? Are you coming in to learn Mm -hmm. to be an academic researcher? Well, then you probably should Mm -hmm. go to academia and do it, right? If you're learning it to get practical use of how to use it in the real world, you know, learning from people who have done that is the best way. So,
1: Yeah, and also practicing hands-on. It really is valuable. Mm -hmm. For sure.
0: Okay, so looking a little forward now... What do you see as some of the top trends for deep learning in 2022?
1: Yes, so uh, I thought about this for a while, the last couple of days. I also made a video about it on YouTube because you inspired me with your questions. I was like, huh, yeah, I should think about this. Well, what, what, what would it be? <laughs> and um, yeah, judging by what I've seen last year's, what happened and also kind of the direction, you know, the, what people are discussing and what they're talking about, I think the main three things, the first one is going to be something called self-supervised learning, which is not really a thing yet, but it's kind of up and coming. And the what it is, is so lately, you know, we have been struggling with enough computing power when we're trying to train deep learning models or training takes too long and There has been some optimization efforts going on to make the models train at a faster speed. But now we've achieved that to a certain extent, at least for really big companies like Facebook, Google, they're not really problems anymore. Now we are starting to hit a wall when it comes to data, you know, how much data we can prepare, how much data we can create label to make it ready for deep learning or any kind of learning uh, models. So now we are expecting a self-supervised learning wave where the model will be able to label its own data and then learn from it. And I think that's one of the first things that we're going to see this year. The second one is a combination of capabilities, and that is basically models that can do more than one thing. We have been training models to do just one task. You know, We have just been, let's say, trying to classify text Tell me if it's positive, negative, or neutral. And that's the that's all a model can do. But lately, we started seeing these models that can do a bunch of things. Uh, but still, they were in the same region, more or less. You know, if it was an NLP model, yes, it's a language model. It can do things related to language. But I think we can start to see maybe this year models that can do vision and language together or speech and language or speech and vision together. So that could be very interesting to see. I have no idea how they can do this, but I've definitely seen a bunch of people talk about this, kind of starting some research on this. So that's uh, something, I guess, I'm also hopeful about it, hopeful to see if that will happen. Uh, And lastly, I think we're going to definitely start seeing hybrid models uh, being used and hybrid in the sense that we have deep learning that can learn by itself without any supervision. And then we have symbolic AI. And symbolic AI is basically... All the way on the other side of the spectrum of AI uh, approaches, where you give your computer some logical uh, directions of how life works. For example, uh, mother is a person who gives birth to child, and grandmother is a person who gives birth to mother, sort of. like You give logical statements to the computer and it learns from this, so it doesn't use data to learn, but you give it uh, direct instructions. But because of the lack of data, as I mentioned, Now, I think some part of the AI world is expecting this hybrid, the symbolic AI and deep learning techniques to be used together. So for part of it, you give instructions. For part of it, it learns itself. And then you have this model that can do much better than any of them used alone. So those are the main three things that I think we're going to see this year.
0: Those are great. All of these get me super excited about the future, especially the (laughs) self-supervised learning (laughs) I think it's a little kind of a dark secret in machine learning and AI that a lot of us have gone through and labeled our own data. And it's actually a manual process to get started. And so to think that it can start to label and learn from it itself is really exciting. And then moving beyond classification text and combining like speech and language or speech and vision, really, we're starting to get to that part of AIG, which is really all about like do we actually have real intelligence, right? Because now we're not yeah. combining, now we're combining the senses, right? Vision, language, mm-hmm. <laughs> and into one, which I think will really start to create some big advancements in this space. So very exciting.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think there could also be a lot of pushback, I think, if we start making models that can do a bunch of things together, but I guess we'll live and see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: All right. So. Shifting gears a little bit into your story, you shared with us, you started in computer science um, and then have moved into the deep learning and data science space. But can you give us a little bit more context to how you made that transition? And then also now to running your own company and being an educator and content creator, all the, all the things that you
1: did today. Sure. So basically... It was all kind of like this random decisions that I made that I brought me here, but I'm very happy with it. <laughs> so when I started college, I was at this university where you didn't have to choose your major beforehand, because normally I studied in Turkey and in Turkey, you have to choose your major before. Uh, but this was like a special school, luckily. So I went there and I just realized that I liked coding. So that's why I chose computer science. It was kind of nice to do things with my hands, like, you know, coding uh, on your laptop And um, yeah, so then I started taking this course called Artificial Intelligence, and it was more on the symbolic AI, as I mentioned previously. Uh, So it wasn't machine learning at all. Uh, And I actually hated machine learning. I took one machine learning course and I was like, oh, geez, this is like, I never want to do this. It's like so annoying. I guess I didn't like the teacher or something. I was just like, okay, not working on machine learning. But then when I was doing my master's, again, in computer science, but this time it was big data engineering specifically, um, I realized it's kind of actually fun to work with data and, you know, try to come up with a creative solution because it's not really like an exact science. Most of the time, the data set that you get in front of you is very different than what you've seen before, especially if you get to work with real life data. It's very kind of entertaining in a way to kind of like a challenge, you know? Uh, you have to do some like detective work or like, oh, what might be going wrong here? Or like, oh, what does this actually mean? Or like, I'm seeing zeros here, but why? So that's why I kind of started doing uh, data science projects also for my internship. And before I knew it, I was basically working as a data scientist because I was kind of like caught up in it. I didn't really think of anything else that I would uh, do. And uh, so I, for a while, I worked at IBM as a data scientist, and then I worked at a smaller company in the healthcare industry for a while, again, as a data scientist. But during this whole time, I was getting a lot of questions from people like, oh, how can I become a data scientist? What should I learn? Can I, Can you recommend me a course? And that sort of things." And I kind of got tired of answering those questions on LinkedIn because I didn't want to like turn people down. So I was like answering all of them. So I was like, okay, okay. I'm just going to start writing blog posts and then send those to people because everyone is more or less asking me the same thing. So that's what I did. And then it kind of just like turned into this thing where I was getting questions from people. I'm like, okay, then I'll write an answer to that too. And I, it was kind of like a pastime for me at first. But after a while, I realized that there is actually some gap in this area of quality content, people teaching in a very approachable and easy way and very like breaking things down and explaining it to people like how things work because that's something I missed when I was transitioning into data science. Okay, I came back from a computer science background, but I, didn't, I wasn't trained on data science. So it was really hard for me to find these unassuming teachers, you know, assuming that I don't know anything and teaching me something. It was always like, I always felt like I was a little bit like one step behind. So that's why I wanted to create these like sets of content where it's very simple, very approachable. I explained everything and like how how it works, why it works, which I think is always most of the time is missing. And yeah, so then I started making courses also. Now I have one course on data science. So specifically how you make a data science project, what are the steps involved in it? Because that was one of the other like big questions that I got. And recently, I also made, as we mentioned, a deep learning course on the basics of deep learning, kind of to get people started if they're thinking like, oh, everyone is working on deep learning. I'm the only one left behind. Then like, OK, let's get you caught up quickly, you know, that kind of a course. So, yeah. And uh, it's it's been like a crazy journey. But now I'm working on my business full time. I wouldn't really call it a company because <laughs> I'm the only person uh, employed, more like a one-person business. But it's definitely fun. It's... Um, been an interesting challenge for me
0: well congratulations i mean what you've done is really fantastic and i know you provided a lot of value to people and i love how the whole business kind of came out from just optimizing things right you were getting all these questions and you're like there has to be a better way to answer them so maybe i write one blog post and then i can help 100 people versus helping one person answering on linkedin (laughs) so that's that's fantastic. fantastic So for those people, I'm I'm going to ask you the question you get asked all the time when you started your business, but what advice do you have for those looking to get a career in data science
1: or deep learning? Like, what's the first step? Sure. Um, so I always break it down to like three steps. I think the first step, as I said, just get your basics straight because... Apart from giving confidence to you, that is one of the things that they ask the most in interviews. I've realized because I was interviewed a bunch for data science roles, and they always, always ask me what a PCA analysis was. And at first, I was like, "Uh, I, I don't know, you know. But once you start seeing that, yeah, they're actually just asking you basics, especially when you're first starting fresh out of college or you just changed your career and you're starting to get your first position. That's why I think getting your basics straight and being able to answer those questions and interviews really quickly and confidently, apart from getting a position, it will make you feel better. So and you know less overwhelmed. So I think that's why it's one of the first things you should do. Uh, second step I think is to practice a lot. Uh, you know there are a bunch of data sets out there. Sometimes it's a little bit tricky for people who are not already in the data science business to kind of find those data sets, but Just, you know, look for, there's a really nice Reddit, uh, subreddit for data sets. They are sharing a lot of free data sets out there. And most of the time, if you're just going to use it for yourself, you can use any data that you can get your hands on. You don't have any licensing issues. So just like try to come up with projects uh, or watch some YouTube videos of people doing projects and try to replicate them. Or you can take my course, Hands-On Data Science, and you can do a project there too. So kind of, you learn how to do, uh, is how to structure and complete a data science project from scratch. So this practicing, I think, is very important. And lastly, I always tell people, do not be afraid to interview. If you have a goal co- a company, maybe don't interview with that first, but just apply to positions. And, you know, just positions that sound interesting to you. You don't have to apply to everything that's in front of you because it's, it's harder to get an interview that way. But just apply as many places as you can in a proper way, not just copying and pasting cover letters. And then, you know, you'll, you'll talk to people, you'll get some ideas, you will get kind of a feel for what kind of people work in this area. You'll get, you'll start understanding Uh, what you expect from a company. It's kind of like dating, you know? The more you date, the more you see the people, the more you kind of get to know people and then it's easier for you to choose someone who is right for you. And also to understand what they are looking for for, for, from you, you know? So that's why I think just get your basics right, practice, and then interview as much as you can.
0: Oh, the dating analogy is so good because (laughs) I think we forget that, hey... Sometimes you try a company and it's not the right fit. Maybe it's not for you, yeah. for them, right? And that's okay. There's a lot of other yeah. great companies out there. And it's exactly. all about finding what makes you thrive and works for you.
1: Exactly. So, yeah, because people well, tend you. to get into this mindset of like, oh, what if they don't choose me? But like, what if they, you don't choose them? You know, you're also looking for a nice fit. So yeah. it's nice to remember, as you said.
0: I love it. I always tell people to remember you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'd love to wrap up with just some quick rapid fire questions. So if you're okay with it, we'll get started.
1: Sure. Go ahead. Okay. So what song do you currently have on repeat? So I have this British singer on repeat right now, La Lahavas, kind of hard to pronounce. and her latest, In her latest album, there's a song called Can't Fight. It's a really good song. Highly recommend it. I'm looking that up right
0: now. <laughs> okay, favorite <laughs> place
1: you've traveled? Yosemite by far. I just felt so alive. It was like an amusement park for adults. I loved it.
0: I couldn't agree more. That's in my backyard. So next time you really? come, let me Aww. know. And yes. We'll have to do a hike in Yosemite. That'd be fun. Yes.
1: Um, for you, happiness is? Peace. Definitely. Peace of mind. And um, yeah, just pe- have being in peace with myself. Love it.
0: In the next five years, you hope to?
1: I hope to have grown my business to a point where I can start employing people. I love it. And then lastly,
0: to me, curiosity is?
1: Uh, To me, curiosity is experimenting. I think that's at least that's how I get a feel for things. I just jump in and jump right in and experiment. And, you know, that's how I uh, get my curiosity, I think. So, yeah. Beautiful. Well, thank you again for coming on the show. For all the of
0: listeners, course. I do highly recommend you check out um, Mr's YouTube channel. We'll link it in the bottom, her Twitter. And then also the class um, Intro to Deep Learning. We'll share the discount code in the show notes as well.
1: And yeah, thank you again for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. And I hope to see everyone and welcome them in the course. <laughs>
0: Wonderful. Well, stay curious and creative, my friends, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the Data Bytes podcast. If you're looking for more resources to further your data career or find your tribe, we encourage you to become a member at womenindata.org. See you on the other side.